Welcome to the XA Podcast, the show that brings together the people that foster inclusive innovation across Southeast Asia. My name is Belinda Ong, and I am the Managing Director of the XA Network. Every episode, one of XA's members will lead a fireside chat or panel discussion with other members, founders, or investors that have shaped the tech ecosystem in this vibrant region. If you like what we have to say, please follow or subscribe to our show. And do remember to tell your friends and rate us five stars so others like you can find and benefit from all of our great content. Show notes are linked in the episode description and you'll find notes and additional resources there. Hi, I'm Reza Behnam, host of XA podcast miniseries on corporate governance for startups which is brought to you in partnership with the Singapore Institute of Directors, or SID. SID is Singapore's National Association of Company Directors with a mission to foster governance and ethics in corporate leadership. Thinking about governance early in the startup's life is critical to ensure sustainable growth, and it also makes funding discussions a lot easier. So we hope you find the discussions actionable and helpful on your startup journey. Welcome XA community and SID members. Today is the second installment in our series on startup board leadership and governance. Reza, thank you for hosting this series of discussions. Thank you. Thank you, Belinda, uh, for setting the stage and good afternoon, everybody. As you may recall, in our first episode, we explored the role of the board of directors, its duties and responsibilities. Today's session will focus on the board structure within startups. We will discuss how to approach setting up an appropriate board structure from the perspective of the CEO and founder, and then some of its implications. Joining the discussion today, we're very excited to have the pleasure of hosting two experts. We have Abby Adlerman and Zimeng Soon joining us. A quick introduction on both of our guests. Abby is the CEO and founder of BoardSpan, the leading cloud-based software and advisory company that focuses exclusively on helping board of directors succeed. Abby brings more than 25 years of governance and board experience to BoardSpan's clients. Previously, she was on the leadership team at Russell Reynolds in Singapore and before that in San Francisco. She also spent 15 years on Wall Street as an investment banker, she recently has worked with the likes of Twitter, KKR, the Olympic movements, Olympic movement, and hundreds of other companies, some well less known, but equally admirable. Abby received her BS in engineering from Lafayette College and her MPPM from Yale University, where she's a member of the Entrepreneurship Advisory Board. Welcome, Abby. Um, Zimeng is the Managing Director of SSM Global Advisory, providing consulting, advisory, and coaching services to founders, CEOs, and board members. He's an angel investor and a certified coach. He served as the President of Southeast Asia for JD.com and as board member of Gojek, JD.ID, JD Central, and Tiki. He served in various leadership roles at Singtel, PayPal and Visa, and also as a management consulting at McKinsey and Monitor Deloitte. He's a member of the board of trustees of the Singapore Institute of Technology, and also served on boards of various social enterprises. 
He has an MBA from Kellogg School of Management, a BA in Public Policy from Stanford, and also received the Qualified Listed Entity Director Certificate from Singapore Institute of Directors. Abby and Zimeng, welcome. Before we dive into the crux of today's discussion, it'll be great if you could start with a quick fun fact about yourself and a few words regarding why today's topic is so important. Abby, would you like to start us off? Sure, um, and let me just say thank you to all of you for having me on this program. It's, uh, it's a delight. Um, uh, when Reza reached out to me, I said, anything I can do to reconnect with my friends in Singapore was uh, two of the most fabulous years of my professional experience and for my family to live uh, there. So it's, it's a true honor to be reconnecting with, with so many of you. Um, so why do I care? Why did I leave that cushy job and start a business all around boards? It, the, the bottom line is, is that the role of the board member is incredibly important. It plays such an instrumental um, sort of contribution to the health of any organization. And this is true in the startup world, uh, in the corporate sector, even in the nonprofit sector. And our observation was that it's a very hard job that's getting harder. And so I am really passionate about helping people that can have so much influence and ability to contribute um, and to really keep, you know, sort of keep the organization moving forward. And it's, for me, I'm passionate about it because if we can help those boards succeed, then we're helping a much broader network of people succeed. Fun fact about me, uh, my very first job out of college was in a steel mill on a factory floor. And before you jump to flash dance in your mind, I will assure you I did not sing and I did not dance, but I did work in a steel mill. Thanks, thanks, Abby, for that introduction and the fun fact. Uh, Zimeng, over to you. Oh, maybe just be on a fun fact, uh, given yeah. that we thought, thought about dancing. <laughs> Actually, I, I know lion dance in the Chinese lion dance. I also know swing dancing. So that's a fun fact, uh, both the East and the West. Uh, and, and I think being uh, so first and foremost, really appreciate the time. Uh, I think we can jump right to the questions. Uh, I have been on boards of different companies. I also have been in position when I have to report to boards. When I was in PayPal, I was a chief executive for Hong Kong, Korea, Taiwan, in which I have a board because PayPal Hong Kong Limited was a listed company. And uh, I obviously was also uh, running businesses when I have to advising uh, founders uh, on, on who actually have to form boards. And myself, I've been on boards with, uh, uh, with CEOs and founders. So from different dimensions uh, and a more practical component, I uh, expect uh, would just love to share perspective and insights wherever relevant. So thank you, Teresa. Thanks very much, Siming. Um, maybe we'll start sort of with a bang and, and address the elephant in the virtual room. Um, uh, so this question is, you know, for, for either Abby or, or Zeming, you know, oftentimes, especially lately, we, we read headlines about compliance gone wrong, right? We, we heard that about FTX not so long ago. Uh, before that was Bird. Um, in Southeast Asia, we had PayMongo and Zolingo. And of course, before that was Theranos, right? What happens? What what usually goes wrong? Why why or how do these things happen? So I think uh, there are a couple of uh, dimensions yeah. here. Yeah. So for public listed companies, I think many the board directors actually truly understand their 
legal and fiduciary duties, right? And but more importantly, they can be held to the fire by the regulators. So, but for private companies, uh, it's a bit gray. So if you look at some of the recent news, uh, actually the CEOs and the management are undergoing a lot more scru uh, scrutiny rather than the board itself. So uh, the long, but, but the challenge is that if your name is associated with a private company that has an issue, then there's something that you as a board member has to think about. Fundamentally, the board has to be focused on two aspects, which is governance and performance. I think many of the SID members here are fully aware of these two dimensions. And uh, both are equally important. Uh, but in many high-growth VC-backed companies, uh, performance sometimes become an overriding issue. And that could explain some of the challenges that you see uh, in the current situation. Yeah, th thanks, Siming. You know, uh, Reza wanted to start off with a bang, and I'll be provocative and say that a lot of times it comes down to the board not keeping their eye on the ball. Um, and and as as uh, Ziming just talked about in terms of the responsibilities, I like to think of them as oversight and accountability is is sort of the the place that a lot of boards have to start. And um, when they are when a when a board and we'll talk about uh, not only Theranos, which was a very big case in the Silicon Valley where I'm from, FTX. Uh, for those of you that don't know, doesn't have a board. The founder refused to have a board. Uh, and I kind of bring it all the way back to Enron. If you guys remember, Enron was probably the first really visible um, sort of blow up of a board totally missing the ball and, and, and taking their eye off the ball. Uh, and that, by the way, is what led to Sarbanes-Oxley, which in the U.S. was a seminal change in the definition of the responsibilities and roles of boards. So why does a board take their eye off the ball? Well, maybe that's something we want to explore a little bit more, but it's usually because either they're, you know, they're um, so caught up in the performance, as Ziming already talked about, or because they're overly trusting and a little naive, which has happened in, the, in some of the cases that we just talked about. Thanks, Abby. Yeah, I think I think in Enron, the, the, the general consensus was that it was more greed. Um, and so I, I was just wondering sort of between greed and negligence, uh, you know, where where do the, most of these cases happen? Is, is there other factors besides greed and negligence or are those pretty much the two? I mean, we have celebrity CEOs uh, seemingly right um, drumming up support from big name investors like Sequoia and others who are, you know, who are very experienced in this, in this regard. So uh, we'd love to hear a little bit more about sort of how that happens um, and how sort of people follow the celebrity CEO in, in, in some of these cases. Yeah. So, so negligence is a little yeah. bit of a, uh, of a harsh word that I think some people would, would push back on. Um, maybe, maybe we can temper it a little bit with benign negligence because I think there's a naivete that happens. And if you look at Theranos as an example, you know, very accomplished uh, people on that board. And uh, frankly, a lot of investors thought, this is great. We've got these accomplished folks that are have led large, you know, sort of portions of the U.S. government and, and other major institutions. And I think it was almost in a surprisingly bizarre move 
some naivete to be too deferential uh, or to presume somebody else was checking the facts um, or just to take too much for granted. Um, so I, I think that there is that, um, you know, what ended up playing out to feel like director negligence, and it ab- absolutely was, it didn't come from that place of of being irresponsible. It came from the place of just being, uh, frankly, naive, surprisingly naive and hands-off. Yeah, just building on that, uh, I think now we our conversation is revolving a lot about governance. I think fundamentally, no matter whether someone is really competent in certain areas, I think what Abby was saying, leading large part of the US government, or you could be a, a accomplished, let's say, entrepreneur or a inventor. But at the end of the day, being on the board, uh, you actually really going to understand your role and responsibility. So there is also a potential hypothesis that people who are asked to join the board may not fully understand the legal obligation that they might have to the shareholders and also the surrounding laws around that. So I'm not uh, advocating for SID only, but after taking a listed entity uh, director kind of qualification, you really truly understand the obligation of it. And therefore, I think it's also important for any board directors to really be aware of their role and responsibility first. And of course, if they then choose not to execute on that, then I think every the word negligence is correct. But my sense is that not every directors on especially private companies are fully aware of their true obligation to the shareholders and to the law, actually. Thank you. Thank you, Ziming. Um, so bringing it back a little bit more sort of home and to the ground, um, as an entrepreneur, you know, why is board composition so important? And when should an entrepreneur start to think about board composition? So having been an investor to over seven, eight uh, companies and also being on series A all the way to D kind of management slash board, uh, there are three things to think about. One is also the stage of the company in terms of uh, when we are talking about now VC-backed company, uh, fast growth company. Uh, truly in series A and B, uh, you were, depending on the lead investor, you automatically have to give board seats. Uh, to obviously people have invested 25%, 30% to your company. So it is useful to have the conversation for the founder CEO with the investor to think about who is, is on the board as a board nominee director to kind of uh, articulate their own expectation of what they need help on. Uh, and the invest the VC board nominee will always also focus obviously uh, not obviously, but will also focus to some extent on compliance governance because their money is in the company. But as the companies start to move to Series C, D onwards, I think the company do have the capacity to consider uh, more independent board director if they want. Uh, the board seats are a very valuable number component in all shareholder agreement, especially you continue to raise fund. Investor wants to be on a board as the founder you also want to have certain board rights and board seat in order to pass certain board resolution. So you've got to be selective to think about bringing in independent board advisory, uh, board members, usually one or two. And it really depends on the needs of the business at a point in time. I've seen situations where they bring in people in terms of being able to talk to the regulators, if they're the financial services, 
being able to expand in other markets by bringing people who have that exposure and also bringing people who have certain expertise uh, in a new growth area they are trying to grow into. But it will be more applicable for larger VC-backed company like Series C onwards. So that's the more practical components of it. Maybe back to you, Abby. Yeah, thanks. So I'm going to answer the question very specifically from this CEO entrepreneur's perspective, um, because there, there's an important role, obviously, that the investor plays in, in the whole dynamic. But um, I'm guessing that a lot of you are thinking about how, how do I build my board as an as a entrepreneur? And the most important thing, it's, it's simple and it's hard at the same time. The most important thing is you want board members who add value. And you have to ask yourself, well, how does somebody add value to me and what I'm doing in this enterprise? Don't put somebody on your board who adds value for the next quarter or two. It's way too short-term focus. You want to think about somebody who can do that journey with you and be around for at least a few years. Well, how do board members add value? Um, well, they can um, help you think strategically. Uh, they can open doors for you they can bring their own operating exper expertise to the table. They might be able to help you with fundraising. But then recognize that when they're helping you and adding value and doing all of these things, as Si Ming has already referred to, by dint of being a board member, they're going to come with some responsibilities and some obligations to others. Now, if you are the only shareholder and you're fortunate to be able to fund your own startup yourself, then you are a large part of their constituency. However, odds are there's maybe some angel funding or some other constituents, some other investors. And even nowadays, as, as the role of governance has expanded, there's employees and customers and, and sort of a broader constituency and certainly regulators. So do know that while they're there to add value and support you and help you realize your dream, the minute they become uh, a board member, they're going to also have obligations to other people and you have to let them do their job. Um, you can't have them be only in for the fun stuff to deliver that oversight and be ultimately accountable because there's a legal uh, and, and uh, liability issue at hand. So, um, you know, choose wisely. Uh, the one thing I'll say as an entrepreneur myself who has a fabulous board and I'm very fortunate is there are times where your board will push you very hard in their service of accountability or oversight, or, or even just to help you grow a business. And sometimes it doesn't always feel like it's fun and happy, but usually a, a great board member, even when they push you hard, will help you be a better entrepreneur and a better CEO coming out the other end. So tough love is, is a pretty good thing for your board. Thanks, Abby. Um, let's pick up from, from where you just uh, sort of ended, which is sort of when, when an entrepreneur is trying to figure out the formula for the board comp composition, is there a one template fit, fits all approach? Or, you know, how does one go about, for example, thinking about subject matter expertise on the board uh, and some of those subject matter expertise you just mentioned in terms of opening doors and sales and so forth versus compliance? versus all the other things that the board these days needs to think about, diversity, sustainability, privacy, except I could go on and on. Um, so how do you manage that? And how do you ensure that the board members are have chemistry, but also complement each other? It's, it's a very broad question, but do you have any frameworks to, to help us 
organize our thoughts around this? Yeah, so um, it a lot has to do with the stage of your company and the stage of your business. And um, I would say in the earliest days, uh, you may not want to feel this way as an entrepreneur, but I encourage you to think hard about existential issues. Because let's face it, the first few years are all about, do you have product market fit? You know, do, have you have you been able to get some traction? Can you build a scalable business? And if you're in those really early days, you want board members that can help you think about those issues. Um, uh, you know, and and so thinking about what are the most important uh, barriers to your success or enablers to your success over the first couple of years, and who can help me do that, uh, I think is is the right question to ask for a board member. Um, so that that's how I would think about it in the early days. And then as the business grows, you want to complement that. Uh, you do not want a monolithic board. It's great if you have somebody who understands sales, but if the third, fourth, and fifth person all understand sales, frankly, if the third, fourth, and fifth person are all former CEOs, it's still monolithic. And diversity of skills is incredibly valuable incredibly valuable, including the first one or two board members, are they bringing diverse skills from what you have yourself? So I, I really think you want, to, you want to think about the tapestry uh, more than anything in those early days, those early hires. Some of the other things you mentioned, uh, Reza, are important, but maybe a little early to start worrying about ESG or, or more broader diversity. Um, they're super valuable, but in the early stage, it's it's about sort of getting to the next stage, right? Yeah, just, just to be on. No, just be on that. I think one uh, dimension to think about is back to performance and governance. So you got to look at the composition of your bots in terms of whether you can ensure a minimum not minimum, at least a, a satisfactory standard of governance. But for kind of VC-backed startup companies, you will always try to index also on performance, right? I think we mentioned the fact uh, across multiple areas, fundraising, market expansion, product uh, specialty, regulator access. So there are multiple ways that you can think through the value that the, a board member can bring in. I think the second dimension is also to look at your existing management team and your existing management team will evolve over time. So if you have a CFO who are really competent, let's say in potentially in trade sale, corporate development, or even IPO, then you may not need to bring in board members who have that deep expertise. But let's say your marketing head actually has only focused on a certain couple of markets, but you may want to bring in board members on other markets that you may want to expand but have no management kind of experience expertise. So very practical way of thinking about it. I think the third part is that uh, for private companies, you do have some leeway in kind of being more focused on performance. Uh, but of course, for public listed company, I think then governance will definitely play a, a, a pretty large role in terms of how you think about that. But that conversation may not be as relevant to the crowd here, but that is something that we, we should really keep that in mind. Back to you, Riza. Great, thank you, Ziming. I, I think uh, there's a question that came up that's very relevant, so I'll, I'll, I'll address it now, which is, as an entrepreneur, when is the right time to set up a board? Um, and what would be the essential board roles? Um, and 
I guess I'll preface that also by saying that, you know, as an entrepreneur, sometimes you don't have a lot of choice in who joins your board because it's the investor who's assigning somebody to be on your board. So how do you deal with that, Ziming? When when do you start up a board first? And then when you do get talk to investors, how do you influence the, the choice of board member perhaps? Actually, it's a really upstream conversation, right? So the real conversation that you are that, that needs to have is is that the right investor uh, at this point in my stage of my kind of fundraising? Of course, that assumes that you actually have the option to choose, right? In this current climate, you may not have the option to choose who are your investor in, but getting the investing the investor in and knowing who is on going to be on the board are very critical conversation to have had. So do not assume that the, the partners that's talking to you will automatically be the board, right? It could be somebody else. So it's just better to have that conversation first. And at the end of the day, for the entrepreneur CEO, if you don't have a choice in terms of who ultimately which investors you want to kind of raise fund with, then it's really having that expectation conversation with the board member. Every, if not all VC-backed kind of uh, nominee directors ultimately will want first the company to succeed, right? Or to raise the next fund or to grow. And secondly, they definitely do not want the company to kind of appear on the front page of any news because it will affect their brand uh, uh, and the and ability for them to get founders to come to them. So actually the incentive of the nominee director from the investors are quite aligned with the CEO and the founders. Um, so that's something that to just consider as you talk to investor. So maybe Abby has something else to add. Yeah, yeah I, you, you've made a lot of really important points. I would just build on that, that chemistry is very, very important with your board, especially to the extent that you have the opportunity to influence who is, because uh, Ximeng and Reza spoke, spoke a little bit about from the investor point of view, but I'm going to address this uh, if uh, the person who asked was thinking, uh, this is not about my investors. I don't have any uh, venture capitalists yet that get a board seat or that's down the road. Um, think about the chemistry, the person that you really trust to um, hand over some of that oversight and that accountability to that really has your back, has your interests at heart to help you succeed. Again, tough love is, is a good thing. Um but also remember, you don't have to you don't have to necessarily put them formally on your board to be able to get the benefit of, of, of their gifts and those insights. You could ask them to be an advisor or make an advisory board, which has less of that uh, some of those uh, statutory governance issues, less of the responsibility, lets them off the hook, and frankly, lets you try before you buy and to test that chemistry. Um, and the final comment I'll make is to the extent you think you might be raising money in the next year or so, and you do invite this person on your board, um, make sure that they're marketable also, that it reflects well in you, that the investors will say, oh, that's great that that person's on this board. That gives me a vote of confidence. And, you know, I'm, they're, they're, they're people that I would like to be associated with. That's always, uh, even if they're not helping you fundraise, their brand and their reputation could make a big difference. Uh, and I just want to add on that for any founders, uh, entrepreneur, getting someone to be on the board on a formal basis is a very serious consideration. Depending on the shareholder agreement, 
a board member actually has has some has some decision rights, especially on board resolution matters, right? Depending on the number of board seats, depending on how the SHA is structured. So my advice is uh, for entre entrepreneur CEO, if you really want to put that person formally on the board on company listing in Singapore on Accra, do look carefully on your constitution and SHA. Uh, because once the person is on the board, he or she definitely has some decision rights over the company. Uh, it's, it's just a matter of how companies are structured. So something to think about. Great. Thank you both, uh, Abby and Zimeng. Um, maybe we can spend a few minutes on what I'm calling sort of board culture and perhaps the role of the leader of the board or the chairman or chairwoman in this case to um, sort of install or instill um, sort of things like self-evaluation and, and refresh, refreshing of, of the board so it doesn't become uh, a one-off issue when you're dealing with a board member that might be sort of problematic. Uh, Abby, what are some of the best practices uh, with regards to board culture? Yeah, so the most important thing I urge everybody to think very seriously about with your board is to have alignment. If you, if you don't have alignment amongst your board members themselves and the board with management, particularly with, with uh, those of you who are entrepreneur CEOs, you are almost almost guaranteeing to give yourself uh, a hard time, uh, at a minimum a hard time, if not just out-and-out board failure. And why do I say that? Because alignment is when the very first way of knowing, are we all pulling in the same direction? Do we value the same things? Do we have the same goals? And that goes starting at the very top with mission. Don't think the mission is just for the entrepreneur the founder, or just for the management team. The mission has to be broadly embraced by everybody, especially the board, because from your mission, that's where you have you set your vision, your goals. You cannot set a strategy until you know what your goals are. So getting everybody on the same page and aligned around that is, is something that, as you can tell, I have a lot of passion around this subject. You're back to the question of your board chair, that relationship between the board chair and the CEO is so important. It doesn't mean you always have to agree. It doesn't mean you can't push back on each other and work through some of these issues. But ultimately, the board chair and the CEO agreeing that you're going in the same direction is important and holding each other to fair and reasonable expectations uh, from everything from how long do the board meetings last, how big should our board be, what are the topics that we're going to cover, how far in advance should management get an information package to the board? Um, and how do we keep the tone in the meetings constructive and forward-looking? Um, because the hardest thing for any CEO is to have a board that wants to get way in the weeds, way into the details, try to do the job of management. It's frustrating on both sides and you lose 80% of the value of a board, maybe more, if you don't keep the board forward focused. That's where the chair plays a critical role. See, Ming, your thoughts? Yeah, and just to build on what Abby says, uh, I think for the CEO, founder, entrepreneur who's looking for board chair, I think it's, I think one critical to, for the board chair to, to understand how the board chair works in general, right? So a good board chair will allow or facilitate very uh, con productive, open conversation during board meetings 
uh, so that everybody can voice their perspective, dissent, and actually opinion. Uh, that's number one. Number two, uh, the board chair needs to be experienced enough to understand kind of how businesses work, but also have the kind of a stage of their career or stage of their life to understand that they are no longer the CEO in that role and do not matter into management decisions, but to ensure that they protect shareholder, focus on a mission and a strategy. So the two big conversation usually at the board can, are usually people and strategy. Uh, so that's something to think about in terms of performance, not the, not the very minutiae details. And of course, governance and compliance, as we have mentioned. I think the third part is that the board chair also in larger boards, so maybe in like much larger company or series EF company, when you have multiple board members and independent board members, you, the board chair also needs to be able to think through how to work through board committees. So there could be audit committees, there could be nomination committees, there could be, uh, there could be uh, uh, remuneration committees, it could be strategy committees. So that's something that the board chair, together with the CEO, also have to think through quite carefully in, in larger organization. So I leave you as that. Thank you. Thank you, Zeming and Abby. Um, I think two two simple phrases that I've heard repeatedly um, at SID when they're talking about startups is, as a, as a board member, we have to have our noses in and fingers out, <laughs> and which is which is which is a good way to remember. And the second one is having the ear to the ground, right? So I think that's that summarizes a lot of what um, Abby and Zeming uh, you mentioned. Um, uh, I guess I'll ask one more question. Um, Ziming, as a board member, how do you manage the balance between the alignment we just talked about, you know, alignment around vision, mission, goals versus oversight? And how do you, how do you switch hats, if you will, between somebody who's making sure that um, the oversight is, is, is looked after while you're working with the CEO to accomplish the performance goals? Actually, a board member has to do that two roles uh, simultaneously and all the time. So in terms of strategy and performance, I think the board, well, no, I, the board member really have to hold the management accountable to, well, usually the budget and also to the strategy. And if a strategy change, then that should be clearly articulated and agree among, uh, obviously, pro proposed by the management and agree with the board, especially if the focus of the business change dramatically. So that's also to some extent bleed into kind of the compliance and the governance part, right? So you do not want, let's say, a company that's starting to do this. And of course, every company pivots, but if they pivot so drastically, then you need to think about whether this is the right approach. And that's where the board management discussion comes in. Then to your question about the whole compliance part, actually, as a board member, uh, you every board member, to some extent, has to sign a lot of documentation and when I was on the board of the various company, I had to sign documentation regarding to merger, acquisitions, share sales. And it's very important to actually look through the documentation and ask one or two right questions and also have a, have a good relationship between the CEO, the CFO, uh, and the board chair in order to kind of understand some of the big uh, decisions that's being made. So to some extent, if somebody has kind of run businesses before, uh, there is there's an intuitive sense in terms of if something doesn't smell right, but just being aware of the of the obligation actually helps tremendously. 
Thank you, Zimeng. Uh, Ivy, would you like to add to that? Yeah, I'll just I'll just um, uh, reinforcing Zimeng's first point, which is uh, oversight and alignment are often in service of each other. I, I don't think they're in conflict at all. Um, and in fact, you know, sort of some of the highest value add that a board member brings is uh, by making sure that that alignment's in place. And you do that by providing proper oversight. So I, I don't know that you need to set up a, a natural tension between the two versus how do they both help fulfill those roles at the same time. And, and you know, remember, all early stage businesses have to be agile. You have to sort of expect change to happen. Um, and the question is, is are we changing for the right reasons at the right time? Um, or are we changing because, you know, things are, you know, be, because we're not accomplishing what we want to accomplish, in which case it goes back to oversight and strategy and alignment and all those other things. So I do think they support each other. Sure. I guess what I was referring to is some of the sort of news reports in one of these sort of cases where there was a fallout. Um, board members were supporting the entrepreneur to, to a point of, you know, pushing for performance, et cetera, et cetera, at the expense of, for example, making sure that audits were done on time. <laughs> and, and, and I guess those, those seem to me, and I, I could be wrong, Abby, I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts, but those seem to me like, you have to put your foot down when you need to put your foot down in terms of making sure audit is done. But at the same time, you're supporting the CEO and the leadership team accomplish goals in, a, in an ethical and, 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 and legal way, right? So am I, am I missing something there or, or is, it, is it a matter of just perspective? No, I, I would say that the way I think about it, and it's, it's one yeah. of the biggest challenges for being a public company also, which is what's your time horizon, right? And if you're trying yeah. to hit some goals and they're short term and it's at the expense of having a foundationally strong business, um, then I don't think the board member's doing their job well either. So, so um, you know, it's like we have to get an audit done. Um, well, why? To put to make sure we have operating controls and we understand where, you know, the different assets are and where the liabilities are, et cetera. Uh, but a, a good board member helps their CEO find their priorities. And a lot of that is about priorities. Um, so again, I think they can work together. It's not easy, but they work together. Yeah, so maybe the way I think about it and maybe more for the SID uh, participants here is if you were to consider being on a board or asked to be on the board of a company, no matter whether it's private, public, it's up to us uh, who are asked to be board member to really ascertain like if that's the kind of company you want to be associated with, the culture of the company, have that conversation with the CEO, have the conversation with the CFO before making any decision. Mm -hmm. Because upstream, if you are already joining a company where the culture is overly focused on performance and compromising on compliance, as one single board member, actually it's really hard to turn the tide. And that's the reality. So actually, the upstream conversation is very helpful. Uh, and you got to understand that once you become a board member formally and you start to sign documents, if something really happened, uh, is there will be more conversation from regulators and more conversation with people who wants to sue the company and the, the directors are definitely involved in that conversation. 
So one cannot say that, wow, I tried my best. There's nothing that can be done. Company culture is not like that. All of us have a choice to stay on the board or not. So, and that's the reality. Thank you, Abby. Thank you, Zimeng. Thank you, everyone. You being guests on today's show and today's podcast. Thank you the par- to the participants who've, uh, who've been very active, to the organizers and to our sponsors, SID and XA Network. Uh, Belinda, any last words to say before we dial off? Nothing more except Reza, Abby, Zeming. Thank you. It has been an honor. Really appreciate how generous you have been with your time. Audience from XA and SID, thank you so much for joining us again. We will see you at the next event. Have a great weekend. Thank you, everyone. everyone. Cheers. Before we close, as a reminder, show notes are available on the link in the episode description. So do click through to get a summary and related resources. We hope you liked the episode as much as we enjoyed bringing it to you. And if you did, please do spread the word about our podcast and take a second to rate us five stars. Thank you for joining us today. This was Belinda with the XA Podcast. See you next time.